This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Okay, we are live. Hi, good, good morning, afternoon, evening, Nubians and others. Hi. Hi, Dr. Gart. Like, uh, I'm, I'm like, what are we talking about today? How are you? <laughs> no, we, 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 look, we talking about what we've been doing, placemaking. If I find my little notebook, I put my, I've been, um, oh, there it is. Give All me right. a second. I got to go get it. I've been um, spending, wait, is this your last week? Now I'm done. Uh, I, it was supposed to be my last week, um, but my students told me next week is uh, uh, reading. Uh, reading week. Yeah, and they were like, "We're not coming in." I was like, "Okay." Yeah, that's a that's a bit of an anachronism these days. I think in some ways, I get the, the concept of reading period for like law school. We that was invaluable because it was the week between the last day of class and the first day of exam. And of course, law school is just is basically reading. So that gives you a time where, okay, I don't have to prepare for class. Now I need to review all my outlines, my notes, and go into I get that for that. But uh, how does reading period work at Hunter? I have no idea. Um, I've never utilized it. Uh, and I have not given exams. So my class is very lab-oriented. Like, it's very real life. You're going to go out. You're going to do, do these assignments. You're going to interview people. You're going to write these stories based off of what's going on. You're going to, you know, we have final projects. So we did that um, podcast. Uh, we're, you know, we're building brands. We have marketing. We did, we did all of these things. So there's no there's no exam. But also, you know, as I'm reimagining education, let me just say thank you to you. Let me th Thank you, Uraeus, for this uh, as well. We're about to do a drop. Uh, in June, so he's working on some things. But this John with the pockets in both sides, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, all right. Maybe John got pockets in both sides, right? Yeah, it's not just the the, the pass through. It's like you you My can God. actually, yeah. So we're we're working on materials and doing something, you know, like a, you know, taking it up a little bit uh, with the apparel. So we've been meeting with some apparel people, uh, figuring that out over the last few weeks. So your ass is like, you know, in the lab. It's like, what you think about this? What you think about that? And he sent me another hoodie that I was like, this is it. So we're probably gonna use that for the drop, and I'm not gonna wear it until. Is ready. All right, in that case, then yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be ready too. Yeah, he said I got I got my girl who with John Henry Clark. I was feeling Dr. Clark today. Is we're coming up on the uh, next month will be the we'll mark again the anniversary of his transition. So um, normally before, well, not norm, not normal, not normal. Before COVID, we would all gather at the County Cullen Library in Harlem uh, for the uh, the ritual we would have. We normally have a celebration in his. Uh, his wife, uh, Mama Sybil, who is now an ancestor, uh, would would normally be there. Uh, so yeah, but but I love I love this Nubia joint. This is this is like class Nubia classic because we've been. This is our like. Well, we we were thirty what thirty one thirty two this Monday weeks into office hours. You know, and, and we don't make that available because we don't want to exploit any of our people, any of our children. Um, nobody should be wearing, you know, so Urias made that in honor of her. Well, no question. And sent her one. Sent her and her mom one. No question. But I just but, like, I like, I like, because it always reminds me of what, why we're we doing what we're doing. And, and, and I want to just, and the reason why I want to start with gratitude is because I'm grateful for this space. Uh, and the people, Absolutely. Um, because it, it lets me know that the, the world is crazy. 
but we are not. And there is a place mm. and make sense of everything. You know, I was reading the Financial Times. I got it this morning. I read Viola Davis, which is like her book yes. is so heavy. Oh my God, it's so heavy. But I'm I'm getting through it because it's like she's she wrote this because she knows that this her story is not unique and it, and that's sad. I'm having these conversations with students of mine who are graduating who are absolutely unsure about anything, what to do, where to go, what what it all means, oh. and graduating. And, it's, and so we had a moment to sit in that um, and just try to work through it with them. Yesterday, I, I was in community with fifth graders. Um, my, my childhood friend, Anthony Cox, invited me to, to come speak with uh, a group of fifth graders virtually. And, you know, it, it warmed my heart because it, these kids are so bright and beautiful and all of the things. But I'm trying to find out what they are. And one kid, I was like, tell me about yourself. He said, well, I'm goofy and I'm annoying. And I'm like, who told you that? Who told you, know, you that? Who told you that? You're not. You're not goofy and you're not annoying. You're not any of those things. You're beautiful. You're brilliant. You know, and it's like the affirmations and the work that it requires for us to just be reminded of who we are. And then this video was on loop yesterday on my timeline of this white little boy coming up to somebody's house, banging on the door with a whip. He couldn't have been more than nine or 10 banging on this black door to he was going to whip this I guess this little black girl and they they caught it on ring right so the mother was like get away from my you know like she cusses him out but then the father comes and goes is a neighbor across the street the 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 father comes the white father comes out with a gun of course and I'm like okay so the little boy banged on our door to come whip my daughter yeah there's no place no place that we are safe that roller that young Patarola and his father coming over there to regulate you blacks authority he came dr car like like he he couldn't have been more than nine or ten like he knew that he had the authority to bang on these people's door and had a whip in his hand and i'm sitting there like this is 2022 okay and then you posted an image of a funeral palestinian funeral of a woman oh, that was yeah just and, yeah that israeli's doing what they do target practice yeah. Shout out to Wonder Woman, Gail Gadot, who served in the Israeli military. In other words, yeah. But they all have to, right? I mean, so it's not like... Exactly. Every nationalist is a deputy, except in Israel, they formalize the relationship. Here in the United States, the skin gets you in. You're a deputy. So you, you can be white and not be a deputy, but you have to opt out. Because <laughs> there's that little nine-year-old boy show. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, here's, here's this woman who you killed. You assassinated her. And then they trying to bury her. And so what do you do? You just break it up so you can, you know, again. But what y'all you, gonna, you y'all think, gonna learn. Y'all gonna learn. Think, and, and this is, I think it's our fault because we we've been indoctrinated with the fairy tales that there are sacred places, you know, there are places that you know women and children are off limits, and you know, uh except women and children are the most you know, uh put upon, you know, done done unto. In, in society, and you know a society by how it treats as women, by how it treats as children. And how about that? But you care about, you know, the fetus, but children are hungry and unhoused. And reading Viola Davis's book, that happens way too frequently uh, in this country and unseen. And and that's why, you know, I said yes to this. Like, I had no time yesterday, Dr. Carl. I was like, I'm going to make an hour for these these babies. because You made the place. Babies. Yeah, they, we have to. We have to. We have to be the the change we want to see. So I'm grateful for this space because it's full of people who. Uh, and then Monday with Kasula's 
relative coming in and the author. I mean, I was sitting there like, where else can this happen where we could literally sit in community with not just the ancestors, but the but their progeny and have a blueprint for what they want. Um, it, it was it was stunning. I was sitting there like, I can't, I can't even, I didn't even make a phone call and this is happening. You know, like I didn't even have to do anything. I'm just sitting there. <laughs> no, because people are looking for it. The metaphor that you opened us with, the brick. I mean, Mama Cassandra Lewis Wallace joining us, fifth generation, direct bloodline descent. She knew Mary and Martha. Those two little girls sitting on Casula's on either stand on either side of Casula on the Casula on that famous picture of him sitting there. You know, she knew them because those are aunties. She's the blood relative. And for her to come, and yeah, I mean, shout out to her, uh, Miss Maisha Jack, the author who uh, wrote the piece in the Mobile uh, newspaper, Never Forget. And then, you know, shout out to Chief Lewis, Jason Lewis, who joined us. And then, but just to hear Miss Cassandra, you know, who, that's the beautiful thing about this. And that's what I've been thinking about as well. I mean, you, you took that time. I started to say you made time and we talk about making time, but time goes on whether we participate or not. But you took that time and invested in those children. You made a place, a place for them. And that little boy, now, is he going to stop saying he's goofy? Probably not initially, but he'll never say it again without stopping. And soon he won't say it at all. And it'll be because of Friday the 13th. And we know 13 is a number of uh, beginning. 12 is the completion of the set. So on the 13th, that's his good luck day. His whole trajectory altered because you took 60 of those minutes and said, let me, let's have a conversation. In fact, I'm not going to say, I'm going to ask you, who are you? And he opened up and said, hi, he gave you a social structure answer. And you came back with a governance answer. <laughs> Ways of knowing, shifted his whole world. He, he'll look back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, um, but that, that's all of our responsibility. You know, uh, I was saying, um, there's a um, you know report. I've had a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists on my show this week because you know the, the report about the suicide rates among young black children, particularly black young black girls. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's really disturbing. You know, and it's like yes, COVID is one thing, but when I saw that little boy bang on that door, I don't know what trauma that girl is experiencing at school with that little boy. And I know that a lot of us send our children to school and we think it's a safe place, but Viola Davis writes about the very teachers that she thought would be there for her were the ones that caused her the most shame and, and um, trauma and, you know, just not there to protect her. You know, you know, when kids are being bullied as a teacher, you know who the bully is in the class, Absolutely. you know, and, and you know who's struggling. And if a child's coming to class, put pissy, it's not their fault. So, you know, to, to, to put the onus on them, for being clean when they don't buy the soap, the water, they you know they don't create their own living situation, but you put that shame on that little girl. I'm just like, what the hell is wrong with like why would you even be in a classroom as a teacher if you're first um you know, I feel that way even about my college students, like and they're grown, but you know, it's always first thing to do a mental health check, everybody good, anybody so you know, we take a moment. 
I'm not just going to jump into the lesson to see and everybody in the class is going to be seen and heard from before we get into whatever we're going to talk about that day, because that's that's the least we could do. You know, those of us who are charged with teaching or who've taken up the mantle to teach. But I'm like, I, I don't know how you could be in a classroom with with the, the, the young minds and not make sure you pour goodness into them at every chance you get. But, you well, know, we live in a world the United States of America. Yes. So I was I mean, where, where there is no value of teaching everyone to everyone's need. You go to school so you can get plugged into the economy. And our children are never valued. The, the highest point of valuation for our children has been our community. And even now, our community, which has been infected so deeply. You know, isn't there something when we think about coming out of enslavement and going through apartheid and the afterlives of apartheid, the farther we get away from the apartheid era in the United States, what they call Jim Crow and Jane Crow, the farther we get away from it, the more erosion there is to preventing exactly the kind of thing that you just described. And then you you talk about the, you know, why do they have reading? Why, why do we do anything? And why are we sending our children into the lion's den? I get it. You move to a neighborhood because you go online and the schools are great. <laughs> but but the, the, the footnote. You know, the, school is great. You never met a teacher in it. No, but the school is great. But the, the fine print is for white people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the unspoken. It's great, great schools. So we move into this. We spend all this money. We compel this taxes in the school system for the kids. But you're, you know, you're sending your. And I'm not saying all white spaces are horrible for black kids. I'm saying all white spaces are horrible for black kids. I mean, all white spaces are. No white space can help a child of African descent understand who she is or he is in terms of the grounding. That's why as you were talking and said that the metaphor that came immediately to mind is the ancestor, a dear friend and brother, uh, Baba Asa Hilliard, who used to say, for too many of our children, going to school is an act of battle. And you pack them up, you give them a little backpack, their sandwich, or if they're fortunate, if they're unfortunate, as you say, in terms of circumstances, you they basically get on the bus with the clothes they had on the day before if they have i mean it's terrible but in both of those cases and everything in between they go to a hostile environment where they are assaulted their sensibilities are insulted the, their culture is is insulted the way they talk the way they move through the space the way they view themselves the teachers even the best meaning teachers who have no grounding impose them and then those children come home that night and try to communicate to the parents that I've been to a fight. And then the child, and then the parents are like, yeah, okay. Some parents and say, okay. And then send them right back to fight again the next day. The children have battle trauma. They go into battle trauma. And Asa used to say that all the time. And he said, now give me the children whose spirits you haven't broken. Give me all of them, but I'll start with them because they know something is wrong and they simply are not going to be quiet about it. So these are the kids you try to spin. These are the kids, but they know you don't like them. And guess what? You don't mind that they know because you think you have all the power. If you're a teacher like that, you're not a teacher. You are an employee stealing a check and harming human beings. Yeah. And you should be out of the class. But, but I mentioned that because this is a book Asa did, uh, Paul published in that classic press called The Maroon Within Us. And that's really what we've been talking about. We've been talking about maroonage. Uh, and, and, and in this maroon within us, he has a chapter in here called In Loco Parentis. 
or retrieving responsibility. In other words, is a teacher in place of the parent? When you send your child to school, that teacher becomes an extension of you. And that child needs to be able to trust not only the home environment first, but the school environment. He starts with a, uh, an epigraph from Aikwe Armand. He says, a people losing sight of origins are dead. A people deaf to purposes are lost. Under fertile rain and scorching sunshine, there is no difference. Their bodies are mere corpses awaiting final burial. So if you want to know why school has become the type of toxic environment for too many of our young people that it is, all you have to do is understand that children are young human beings who have to be affirmed and nurtured and fed. And that firm, not fed and nurtured and affirmed in an alien culture. And yeah, alien, A-L-I-E-N, alien. Not in terms of not being a human being, but in terms of a cultural origin. And I'm not talking about making every math equation into a rap song either. That ain't ain't nurturing. That's accommodating a culture that says, this is how we view your learning capacity. Hip hop is our culture. Yeah, hip hop is a cultural extension. It is cultural meaning making. And when it includes movement and memory, I mean, I've been working my way song by song through the new Kendrick uh, release. And, uh, you know, I'll say less at this point. Uh, I just I just said this yesterday. Um, and this is not what, you know, I was like, what are we talking about? He said, just go live. Okay. Don't uh, worry. We, 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 haven't, we haven't left Miss Cassandra. Trust me. <laughs> so let's keep going. <laughs> Nubians, we haven't left. And everybody watching, y'all need to understand what we're about to talk about now is ties all this together. Go right here, Professor Hunter. Yes, ma'am. I had, um, I had George Wallace and Marsh, Marshall Warfield on the show yesterday. Isn't um, that something now? Now, you know, Miss Cassandra's last name is Wallace. George Lewis Wallace. That's her last. I want to some Ken. <laughs> anyway, uh, go ahead. So, yeah, George. Talking about, you know, um, legacy and, you know, these both of them been in comedy for 40 plus years. You know, T.I. a couple of weeks thinks that he's, you know. I feel like, you know, Kendrick Pulitzer and uh, Grammys, 14 Grammys. When I read 14 Grammys. It's a beautiful thing. It's a social structure award. So, I mean, they mean absolutely. Let me be very clear. Absolutely nothing. Okay. No. All right. But I mean, but yes, he's well recognized. Yes. He's got yeah. a Pulitzer. So um, he won his birthday and I'm like. I ain't mad at the young brother. No, I'm. I can't be. We none of us can be mad. And 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 in his mind, right now, if y'all believe that niggas means is the origin of the n word, then at that point, I got to draw the line, young brother. We can't do that. I mean, <laughs> was, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> that sleep fake video that, that that got released, I was like, all right, you know, there's some brilliant elements. But as soon as I heard the n word, I was like, disqualified, disqualified from being the voice of the future because if you cannot formulate. Uh, messages without then also inserting the trauma, then how deeply are you thinking about what it is that's going to be here forever? You know, we can put on songs in the key of life forever and forever, forever. There's You can just put that on from beginning and let that thing run and it never, ever, ever will be irrelevant. And I just like, that has to be like if anybody creating art. I got that. Shout out to Steve Van Morris. Can you believe that boy only 72 years old? I can't because he started. How old was he when he did? But this is what I'm saying: to be that brilliant, but also to have that type of nurturing environment, so he could go into the studio at Motown 
and see Papa Cedar, see James Jamerson. And I'm not talking about see with his eye as he was saying that album release, Inner Visions. Wonder is, he's apprenticing with master musicians. So he's only 72 years old. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because as a boy, to the point you're raising, he's brought into a learning environment. That is, oh man. Woo. And songs in the key of life, everything he's done is going to be here. I, I don't have any smoke for Kendrick. And then you think about it and say, well, how old are you, son? Okay. What environment did you come up at? Yeah, because this boy here, Stephen Morris from Saginaw, Michigan, he was in single digits. So it ain't a question of youth. Not well, he'll much. mature. Well, how mature was Stevie Wonder when he was hitting that uh, that harmonica? Everybody say yeah. <laughs> you know and, and, and shout out to Jordan Peele, who some people some think is some kind of visionary. Uh, I say shout out. You know, I'm always using irony because uh, you're going to remix Stevie Wonder's and then put it on that whatever this note or this new playing around with cameras uh, movie he got coming out. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all can give as many awards to these short-minded Negroes as you but 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 either way, you can remix everybody say, yeah, you can remix fingertips part one and two all you want, but you'll never displace the original performance because that cultural meaning making is now part of our movement and memory. We anchor ourselves, and we just passed, didn't we? Professor, we just passed the when we talked about this last year. That that year of 1971, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Bill Withers, Stevie Wonder released an album or two every year. So it's not even market. It, of course, it's marketing. Of course, it's but but that 1971 is the moment when you see these young people who were apprenticed in that in that assembly line motif of Motown, saying, "Now that we've been grounded, we're gonna take it over here." But even Mahalia to Mavis to you know like just always been, but to that point, um, I was reading lyrics on the on the air, uh, and I pulled up Tupac. So keep your head up. Doesn't have the N word in it at all. No, at all. No. And I read the lyrics, and y'all heard that song, you know, you know how it starts. But to read the lyrics out loud is to understand that Tupac Shakur sat in in something of understanding his role and we're gonna raise a, a race of babies that will hate the ladies i mean it was like make the babies <laughs> it's like come on he understood and because a, a man can't make one you know it was it, was, it the, the way he just and i'm not good with memorization of lyrics but when i was reading out loud i was like this is so freaking profound that and, phrase then, there. and coming out of experience because part of that is a self-critique. Yes. Yeah, we raped our ladies and we and, and I'm just going through it. And I'm sitting there going, this man didn't make it to 26 and understood some things. No, he didn't. And 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 then this week, um, one of his uh mother's uh family members, I guess we, you know, it was a bigger family member, one of the Shakur, it was a Shakur yes. uh, that got released at at the 50- Baba Matolo, Matulo Shakur out like, of Jersey. And a uh, shout out to the governor of New Jersey and the attorney general of New Jersey who both condemned the parole board releasing, uh, board releasing him, reminding us that politicians are not your friends. It's better to have a Democratic governor of New Jersey than a white nationalist, governor, a white nationalist party governor, but he's not a friend of yours either. 
And of course, Matula Shakur, of course, is a comrade of a member of the Black Liberation Army. And by the way, today marks the anniversary of the bombing of Osage Avenue in West Philly, the move movement, of course, and Mumia Abu Jamal, who is still a prisoner, a political prisoner. But yeah, but Matula Shakur is a, a comrade, of course, of Asada Shakur, who is also part of Tupac's extended family, who is in Cuba, or let's say she's in places unknown. Why? And and every white nationalist, including the soft white nationalists like Joe Biden and others, still call for the return of Joanne Chesimard, her social structure name, <laughs> so to speak. But uh, as I told Jim Comey, when he uh, spent a few months at Howard University, the invitation of somebody, uh, you know, they asked me to sit and talk with him. I said, sure. I said, now you're going to be in classrooms with young people. Some of them are going to be named Asada. And uh, I told him, I said, now, if I'm not mistaken, she's still on your most wanted list, didn't she, sir? Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. So just be clear about where you are. But the whole point is this, Matula Shakur, yeah, because now the man is ill. Now the man is in the last part of his physical life. And he's going to live, he says, with his you know daughter in Brooklyn. And uh, that's not disclosing anything. The man been locked up for almost 50 years. Almost 50 years. And uh, if we care, well, let me, let me, let me say less. But to the point you're raising, Tupac Shakur is a product of those, those freedom fighters. And he's a product of black America, which means that all the contradictions are there. And, you know, and we and we've talked about that before, so I won't repeat it here, except to just mention that the one and only time I got a little chance to spend some time with Tupac, we were at the Internet Black Expo. I guess it's nineteen ninety three or ninety four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we did. We talked about it, but I, I just want to mention at that point because all of the layers, the all of the contradictions, all of the convergences, all of the swirling thing that make us black were on display at that time. He's now a box office star, all the contradictions there. He had just come the day before we all did our thing together from seeing Mike Tyson. He wanted to go see Mike because Mike was in jail. And I mean, you can't look away from any of it if you're serious about working with our people, just like you said with those young people yesterday. You can't look away from any of it. This whole respectability, no. And one of the reasons Tupac is beloved, I was watching... Um, Tretch, do you, I don't know if you know him. I mean, you know, I know he's Jersey, so I don't know if. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Tretch, this is all of them. Okay. Yeah. I it is hilarious to watch. I say hilarious in, in a loving sense. It is striking to watch women and men who were very young when they were pulled into the kind of hip hop world and commercial world. Now at an age when they sound like our parents used to sound. So I guess it was one of these podcasts. It was Math Hoffa or whatever. They're sitting in this makeshift barbershop and he's telling stories about Tupac and Shug Knight and how the thing blew up before and then the West Coast, East Coast. And listening to him talk about it. And he said, now I'm working with young people and I'm looking at them like, your OG is 16. Tell me, you gonna go get the OG to meet with me and he's 16. He said, I couldn't stop having the conversation. But what I began to understand is this is not the world we grew up in. And I'm tripping because I'm looking at him. I'm down with OPP. Yeah, you know, but now he's reflecting. And then, and, but he said what you said. And then one, one of Omar Epps was on one of them as well. And they took course, they did juice. And he said, Omar Epps said, you know, we would be wanting to go to the club. Let's go where the girls have it. And Tupac would, would say, no, I'm going to the studio. Let's go to the studio. And he said, it was now looking back, I realized he was acting as if he didn't have a whole lot of time. 
We wanted to be kids, but Tupac wanted to go and write some here. In fact, he this is what he said. He said, one day we on we on set, and he comes to me and says, Yo, uh, Omar, come here, man. I, I wanna he brought him to the trailer and he started saying, check this rhyme out. So he started doing this rhyme. Omar was like, Yeah, okay, cool. He said, a little later, an album comes out. It was Brenda Got a Baby because he had read something in the newspaper about this girl who had been. So that that song is from a newspaper report. Omar, I didn't even get it. He wrote that on the set of Juice in between takes. <laughs> anyway. But... Keep your head up is dedicated to Latasha Harlins. Come on now. You know, so like, again, I don't know. And that's, that was the biggest message I want young people to read. Uh, reading opens your world. It allows you to express and see yourself in places you can never imagine. But it's also the gateway to creativity and all of the things, which is why I'm, I love Mondays and, and all of the books that you're bringing. And I'm, I thank you for sending the Tony uh, Kate Bambara uh, piece over. We're going to put that up in Nubia so that we can be ready for that on Monday. But yeah, yeah, like it's it's so important. But Tupac was a reader. Not just of you know books. Right. He he knew what was going on in the world. He wasn't blind to it, and it wasn't just listening to music. So you know, and a reader who went to a school that nurtured his talent. He's at a performing arts school. See, we can the social structure had you believe these Negroes just dropped out the sky, right? <laughs> no, no. And and the only the only other thing I was gonna say real quick in terms of that 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 encounter had he was surrounded even in that moment with elders, Black Liberation Army elders who were not political prisoners former Panthers. And I'm watching him comfortable with these elders who were protecting him at the same time he around these other cats. And so what do you do with a young person with that much, that many gifts who is in a space where the social structure is getting ready to make him pick, which is a point Tretch was making. He would say this East Coast, West Coast thing wasn't a thing. And then we looked up and these people got a hold of it. Now it's on the cover of Vibe. Now it's in the New York Times. And then you had to pick a side. He said, we, we had just been all hanging out together. I was like, what the hell? He said, my people, he said, Lil' Kim and them Lil' C's, they were terrified to go out when we were on tour because they said he's West Coast. He said, so I called Shug. I, mean, I know it's actually what they said, man, tell them we go ahead and go clip. And then we all went out to the club. It wasn't even a thing. Now, of course, there's beef. Of course, there's contradiction. Nobody's saying it's not. But understand the role of external factors who don't think any of us just like that little boy with that whip knocking on doing his daddy with the gun none of us are human beings we exist to serve this structure so how do we break through that professor hunter that's what we really and 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 asking the question every day i think we're we're realizing that we do have the power to do just that we do have the power to do just that. And it starts with choices too. You know, and I think, you know, for those people who have moved to places for the school system, you know, for the clean bucolic, you know, the white picket fence and the and the nice streets or what have you, and the peace and the lack of crime, you know, um, you've traded in something else. And there's no shame in that because you made a decision, you know, as much as my daddy moved to a, a neighborhood, but then it soon turned all black because everybody was like, oh, black people here, let's move out. But it was, you know, a choice because you want a better life for your children. You want your children to be able to run and play and have have peace and be children. I get it. But we can create that. We can create that. And we have. We've always done it. And, you know, talking about Africatown and other places, Wilmington and Rosewood and Greenland, Greenwood and, and all of the places all over. Uh, hey, Ty, hey, you know, um, we've always done that. It's when we forgot 
that we could, or when, when they kept dangling that carrot of colder water or better whatever, better schools. No, I don't think you can get better schools than black teachers that care about black children, even with inferior books, but with superior knowledge to feed every day those that those sensibilities and, the, and, and to empower those children to be everything. There was no unequal. What was unequal was what they were teaching over there that we got bust to. Anyway, all right. No, no, What's no, 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 no. Let's 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 stay in this. Because yes, yes, your pops, your family, let's move here. But the neighborhood, the environment, the the schools, the more bang for the buck in terms of house or land, none of that came into the house. You still had the home. You know something that uh, Miss Cassandra said on Monday night in office hours. Everything she said it was a master class. And again, thank you. Maisha, Chief Lewis, I mean, thank you, Maisha, particularly because I'm going to tell this story. When we raised something that Adesoji raised, the possibility of taking Kasula, his remains, back to Africa, she said, you know, we have nine generations in here. And when I asked, you know, what, what do you think, you know, again, what is what are the possibilities maybe of, of something of his, some grave dirt or something being returned, even, even symbolically. She said, well, I would say, you know, take him home. Well, I would say, you know, to do something like that, you need the whole Lewis family, not just one Lewis. It's permission. So the first thing she did was teach us and remind us that family is at the core. And we just spent a month in Barracoon, Zornia Hurston. And we we did that because in our conversations, what emerged was a very real, the very real tension in our broad concept of black people, people of African descent, over who we are, who we are to each other. Again, I keep coming back to these Africana studies frame this framework and these conceptual categories these six conceptual categories because they allow us to have we've we've created space to think and that second category that governance category who are africans to each other is very important and so that was the conversation that prompted us after carter g woodson after w.e.b du bois after martin luther king to 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 ask zornel hurston and kasula kujo lewis to take us into this conversation where do we go from here by going back to see where these tensions, where these connections have their origins? And so at, at the at the close of the month, to have a living descendant, a direct living descendant of Kasula, uh, to have her come and to raise the possibility of this connection to the African continent, and she, of course, evoked uh, April Lewis, uh, the sister who did the bust of Kujo, of Kasula, that is in front of the church where he, you know, helped build and was the sexton at the church. Well, she wants to create an, another bust like that and take it to West Africa. And she wants Miss Cassandra to go with her. And she said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll absolutely do that. But she said, well, now, if you're talking about returning his body, she said, you'd have to get the whole family's permission. And she said, now, if you take him, though, it will be a piece of us. It will be a piece of us. And she said, 
he built a family here. And, you know, at that moment, it was very interesting because she said, we want to carry him to our children and our children's children. I don't think taking his body there would do that as far as items. I'm very much open to that. But here's where she brought it all home. She said, you know, if we took him, who would be responsible? They may pave a road over him. And it was like, wow, yeah. And then she said this. She said, we don't know where his mother is. We don't know where his father is. That's who he wanted to go to. That's what he wanted to go to. That's who he wanted to go to be with. So if you were burying him with his mother, burying him with his father, well, that's a different story. But he's got a family here and his family is not small. We go up to nine generations. Now, I raise all that in the context of what we've been talking about from the beginning of our time together today. 114th time together. To raise the reality that we place make. This is the word for the few minutes we have today. Place. Place. P-L-A-C-E. Place. Let's think about that. Footnote. Somebody sent me a video of these children dressed as black children, cartoon in Egyptian attire, and they were in front of pyramids and the temples, and they were teaching the alphabet. And it was so cute. Now, of course, the beat they were they were teaching it to with the little flute and the little drum machine was a trap beat. <laughs> but I couldn't look away, and I thought to myself, see. See, this is what extensions of Africana cultural meaning making look like. This is that category cultural meaning making. You got Kemet, you got black children. They looking so cute. The trap beat comes in and you learn the alphabet. It was gloriously Negro. I'm like, oh my God. But it was beautiful. Why? Because the kids listen to the trap and now you could ease them into the thing. But the whole point is placemaking is the point I'm trying to make. So I say place. I'm like, oh Lord, they could probably put that to a trap beat. But what, what Miss Cassandra Lewis Wallace was saying in some way, she didn't say it this way. She said it in a much more direct, pure way. Is that the connections to Africa don't require us to physically return. Like Marcus Garvey, who never set foot on the continent of Africa. That they do require us to know our roots and our origin. And this is what we're going to get into next week with Tony K. Bambara. And so as we think about this question of place and placemaking, we, you know, I was reading something, um, a new book. My brother Cedric Johnson, who is a um, political scientist at the University of Illinois, Chicago's called the Panthers Can't Save Us Now. In fact, I dropped a, uh, in, I dropped a, um, I dropped a quick uh, quote. You know, uh, I, I put a, put out a post in Nubia this morning as we were getting ready, and I was going back to make sure that I had explicitly what uh, Mama Cassandra said. And in this book. It's very interesting. Um, Brother Johnson, Dr. Johnson starts with, um, in, a, in the preface, he starts talking about the death of George Floyd and the racial reckoning of 2020, so to speak. And of course, we're coming, we're now in the month that George Floyd was, was, was killed. And it's only been two years, only two years. 
And when we think about the world as it existed before the pandemic and the world we inhabit now, the world we are inhabiting, uh, the world we inhabited before COVID is fighting hard to reassert itself. The traffic jams are coming back. The office spaces are still largely vacant. I'm looking like around in D.C. and Maryland. I'm like, wow, I still see the darkness in here. However, the the ramp up of the other facets of pre-COVID world are emerging. The folks who tried to <clears throat> use that moment to get rich, Peloton stopped, you know, cratering. The, the food delivery stock uh, companies cratering these kind of things because people are no longer tethered to the indoors. Well, you know, I was reading because of Johnson's book, he alludes to it, um, a piece that was in the Toronto mail by sister named Dion. I'm sorry, the Toronto star by Dion brand in July, 2020. And it was uh, called on narrative reckoning and the calculus of living and dying. And she said, I don't want to go back to normal. This was two years ago, right? This is this is right around the time we, a little bit after we started in class. And then, of course, narrative and now Nubia. And she talked about the fact that normal for us, as people of African descent, she's writing from Canada, normal for us wasn't cool. It isn't cool. You know, and, and 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 of course, that's we know that we know that to be true. So we're going to get back to normal. No. Uh -uh. But normal as it was is clawing its way, trying to pull us back into normal. Now, why do I raise that in the context of placemaking and everything we've been talking about up until now with uh, Mama Cassandra Lewis Wallace giving us a beautiful pivot as we begin to think about this question of how what does it mean to make place wherever you are, whether it be plateau. Alabama, whether it be Africa Town, as the Africans called it, whether it be Magazine Point, Alabama, as she walked us through the difference between Magazine Point and Plateau, whether it be that part of Jersey that um, the Hunters relocated to, whether it be the Performing Arts School in Baltimore where Tupac Shakur's mom made sure he was there doing that work, whether it be the barbershops or the beauty parlors where we convene, whether it be on Zoom, where a fifth grader can be gently reminded that you are a human being, whether it be any place like the indoor of a house where a black girl is protected from uh, a white racist with a gun and an apprentice white racist with a whip. And I know y'all say, oh, the child, it's not the child's fault. No, it's not the child's fault. But just because it's not the child's fault, should the door have been open and let the white boy come in there and whip her? No, hell no. It ain't your child's fault. But guess what? Your child got to pay the bill, the sins of the fathers. You know how it works. But the point is this, whether it be any of those places, Place is the thing that brings it together. And what Dion Brand was saying in that article in the Toronto Star in, in July 2020, only two years ago, not even two years ago, is I don't want to go back to normal. I, in other words, I don't want to go back to the social structure that relegates us to non-humanity, that relegates us to non-humanity. And so how do you combat that? Well, this is where it gets interesting for us in this very specific instance, because here we are again on another Saturday. And for a lot of people who either may not have the material resources or, you know, who get something to move on and, you know, who are not or not yet in narrative or Nubia, 
still coming on Saturdays. We understand that at the height of everybody driven indoors who could afford to be indoors, and even when they couldn't afford to be indoors, had no choice to be indoors and had some type of connection, what we did was we created another place. We created a commercial place. Two, two years ago, two years ago, we were attuned to each other because we had no choice physically in our living spaces if we didn't live alone and then using the technology we connected in real time all you have to do is go back through any social media platform certainly like youtube and look at the number of views look at the views from two years ago through that summer number of views for the exact same kind of things even things which aren't as developed then as they are now like this and then look 60, 70, 80, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500,000 million views. And now people say, well, look, the numbers dip. No, what is being, what that reflects is normal is trying to claw its way back into our life. But here's what happened as well. During that period of placemaking, escape velocity from that social structure Dion Brand is talking about was achieved. By escape velocity, I mean the gravitational pull of this social structure that locks us into this form, these various forms of non-humanity. When you talk about African people, we achieved escape velocity. We glimpsed some of the things we want, some of the things that we never give ourselves time, or we never take advantage of the time we have. We say we make time, no, we make place. We make place because time is a thing that we don't necessarily understand well enough. We make place and we made place because we were forced to make place. We were forced to choose what we would choose if we didn't think we could, I mean, we didn't think we could do it. In other words, we don't think we can do it. I don't have the time. No, time exists outside of that. The choice you make, if you're fortunate enough, a supported choice that allows you to make it a little bit easier will dictate how you would make a place. And so what we did with each other, old folks used to call it tarrying. We tarried with each other. And when you tarry in a place, in other words, when you focus, clean your mind, and then together embrace each other, and by embracing each other, find that part of yourself that exists in our common humanity. We tarried and our minds began to open up. And we achieved an escape velocity that we are now sustaining. We have been sustaining it in this specific space for a couple of years. In the Nubia space, we have been sustaining it for a little over half a year. And in that process, folks are finding their way into the space from other centered and tarrying spaces, from families. When we listen to Miss Cassandra on Monday night, talk about her family, the Lewis family, and how they're interacting now with a social structure that has discovered Africa Town, that has discovered the Clotilda, that has discovered the value. In other words, the commercial value. Don't ever, don't ever forget that kind of society we live in she said yeah but this is our family and this is our family story and regardless of what goes on around it we are going to not only tell that story and i said you know miss Cassandra, we talked about that we all talked about it on monday night 
your family is representative of all our families. It has all the elements. And this placemaking is ongoing. And so what we have is an opportunity to nurture these places. Now, what does that mean very specifically in terms of our ongoing work? Prof, when you talk about writing and reading, we know that in many ways, writing and reading, writing is always a risk. Because what, as, as uh, Baba Fukiao used to say, Tata Fukiao, in, in discussing Mbongi, the concept of Mbongi out of Central Africa, is that what you think belongs to you, what you say belongs to us. Mm. And so, you know, what you say can be out of your mouth, it can be out of your facial expressions, it can be out of, in other words, what you communicate belongs to us. So that's always a risk. Communication is always a risk. People talk about keeping secrets. I think that's a little overstated because the only pure kind of a full awareness of a situation that a person experiences is within. And even then we lie to ourselves. So anytime you communicate there, that, that's an act of narration. And in that act of narration, they're going to be edits, even in the most best, best uh, intent. So when we're reading, when we're talking, when we're singing, we're communicating, communicating, people talk about reading between the lines, listening between the lines, opening with your third eye. And again, you know, I'm not going to get into that because people might accuse me of being a hotel and given the, the nasty state of miseducation of African people in the world, people might think that's a pejorative. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so I'm not even going to go down that, that, that path. I will lead it to my brother, uh, Dr. Beatty, our, our brother, Dr. Beatty, who has done a lot of work on that. But the whole metaphor is really about being able to be, perceive perception. So we search for places that allow us to live in our fullest capacity. And in living in that fullest capacity, broadening our awareness, we have reached a point now, at least in Nubia, you know, as we continue to think about this and, and talk about this, where we realize that, you know, there's a lot of places in the world where human beings are placemaking under some very difficult circumstances, like the one we saw there in Palestine and Israel this week, under some very difficult circumstances, like we see in whether it be Nicaragua, whether it be the Ukraine, whether it be any place you see people contesting, whether it be the United States, whether it be Texas or Mississippi, where people are making different kind of choices based on, you know, desiring to control other people's bodies. All of all of this is placemaking. What kind of world do you want to live in? What kind of world do you want other people to live in? And if you think people don't want uh, other people to do what they want, all you got to do is look at the United States where people want to impose their will on other people simply because they think they can. And they seem to have forgotten, or at least they've not been reminded vigorously enough of the fact that we can all make a decision that changes your capacity to impose your will on me or you. So, you know, let's, let's just, let's just get that straight. But in that notion of placemaking, as it relates to us, people of African descent in the contemporary moment over the last several centuries, last 500 years or so, that notion of placemaking where we get to be fully, ourselves in the world on whatever terms we choose 
because the we has been dictated by an external set of factors that lumped us together. Again, thinking about uh, Miss Cassandra, Kasula comes from West Africa, but he spent most of his life in Alabama. And the connection to Africa is there. In fact, that is what allowed him and his fellow captives on Clotilda to make a life in Africa town. That Africa can never be erased, diminished, because it literally lives in the bloodlines. We were laughing about it Monday night when we probably, uh, Miss Cassandra is talking and she's saying things Kasula would say. You know, she said, you understand me. I said, that's what, <laughs> that's what your great, great grandfather would. She said, yeah, because she learned those stories mouth to ear from her father who knew Kasula, from her uncle who knew Kasula and knew Zora Neale Hurston. And so that for her, for us there, virtually because we've cre created through the escape velocity of space where we can convene here's this elder talking to us in other words we getting it mouth to ear from somebody who got it mouth to ear from the man himself but she says we don't have to go back to that physical place because he wanted to go where his mom, mother and father are anyway and that was disturbed and royal before he ever got on that ship she said but i'm open to go back with whatever symbols, whatever pieces we need to do to strengthen that connection. But the family he brought here, she said, we want to continue that, which means, you know, I used to talk about this when we, we wrote a lesson in the Philadelphia curriculum called Extensions of African Culture. And we said, what we're going to change is this social structure framing of African identity. Because social structure framings of African identity talk about contributions too. In other words, Look at all these beautiful contributions to American culture. This is a contribution black people made to American culture. This is the gift black people gave to America. No, no. We can still talk about contributions too, sure, because they are contributions too, no, undeniable. But if you think of it from a governance framework, what you're talking about is extensions of. These are extensions of Africana in these other spaces. So they change, shape, inform, create these other spaces, even as they continue to extend from the root, from the foundation. No matter how many permutations it takes, it comes from somewhere. And what we heard uh, Miss Cassandra do on Monday night is remind us that, yes, this is an extension of and a contribution to and wherever we are is an extension of it, like spokes of a wheel. It's a it's a it's a, it's an extension of so. Those extensions in their most grounding and nurturing and affirming and expansive form, the social structure had a word for them. Those kind of African people. They would call them wild, ungovernable. The, to the term cimarron in Spanish, marron in Spanish or French for the English speakers, maroon, those are maroon spaces. So Barracoon is emptying us into the next piece we're going to do. And for that piece, we turn to our sister, Tony K. Bambara. From this piece we talked about last week, Deep Sightings and Rescue Missions. Well, I showed it to you last week. Fiction, Essays, and Conversations. And I read from, at the time, last Saturday, if y'all remember, um the essay school days i thought well let's let's go with her by she's in atlanta because she spent time everywhere you're obviously new yorker uh long time in philadelphia 
her her comrade and collaborator Louis Masai, my friend Louis Masai, the filmmaker. You know, Tony K fingerprints all over the documentary on uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. Also, of course, like as I said, the anniversary of the bombing of Osage Avenue, the MOVE organization. Um, they did a film, The Bombing of Osage Avenue, that she wrote the uh, the framework for. Um, of course, she was a consultant and worked very closely with Julie Dash and others on Daughters of the Dust. And there's a long essay in here um, called Reading the Signs, Empowering the Eye, where she deals with the black filmmakers, the, the so-called L.A. Rebellion, so-called, because that's what the social structure called it. And of course, Holly Garima, a very good friend with Tony K. Bombard. So we had to get Baba Holly in here. But go ahead. What, what you thinking? Before you... Um what was your entry point to Tony K. Bambara? What what was it about her that, that touched your soul? You know, I kicked myself because I never got a chance to spend any time with her. And I said I kicked myself because I was living in Philly from 92. Um, she didn't have much longer on the physical side. But I think Tony K. Bambara, like her very good friend, close friend and sister, Tony Morrison, who writes the preface for this, had a command of language and her command of language is what pulls you in. And was it uh, one passage one? Oh, like, okay. Cause I, well, you know. I mean, you know, you know what the path? Well, I will refer, let me see if I have a, yeah. Her most famous uh, piece of work, her novel, the salt eaters is probably indicative of that language. Page three. Chapter one, first line. Are you sure, sweetheart, that you want to be well? Pause. Now, if you're a human being, but if you're a black person, are you sure, sweetheart, that you want to be well? That's in quotes. And he says, Velma Henry turns stiffly on the stool, the gown ties tight across her back, the knots hard. So taut for so long she could not swivel. Neck, back, hip, joints dry, stiff, face frozen. She could not glower, suck her teeth, roll her eyes, do any of the Velma things by way of answering Minnie Ransom, who sat before her, humming lazily up and down the scales, making a big to-do of draping her silky shawl, handing it as though it were a cape. She'd swirl any minute over Velma's head and then wipe out Veronica. Or as though it were a bath towel she would drying her back with in the privacy of her bathroom. So you got this elder. You sure, sweetheart? You want to be well? That's the first question we have to ask ourselves. This is the question. In fact, we did remember probably last year. Well, long than that now. The power of the pause. And you and you bring us back to that consistently over the arc of our conversations. Are you sure? In other words, you have to take you have to assume a place of contemplation to even answer that question maybe even to ask it to ask it is to be aware that it is there to be asked are you sure you want to be well two summers ago when we were held in place i believe there was a lot of healing going on at least a lot of asking that question man i gotta go no you ain't gotta do nothing sit down no in fact shut the whole place down let the trees breathe let the animals go and you Stay here. Well, let me turn on. Okay, okay. We got verses. We got. Hey, what is this? What they tell? Oh, oh, this is. Huh. Let me order these books. Let me see. I'm so happy. And then, I mean, we see that conversation. But, but Tony K, you asked me a question. I think for me, it wasn't a particular line as much as it was 
the not only command of language, but the second thing, which is, I think, for me, not only distinguishes Tony Cade, it doesn't distinguish her in terms of just exclusive, but there is a there's a simplicity of language. Help, help me, Prof, because you know this week we're going to stray off into the, 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 the to your field. You're a writer. You deal with literature deeply. So talk to us a little bit about. I just um, interviewed AJ Verdell, who wrote Miss Chloe uh, about her friendship with Tony uh, Morrison, which is another. I mean, another book that you're just like, damn, these people can write. Like I, I can't write. You know, like, <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. You just told that boy. No. No, you say I, you you decided not to occupy that place. Right, my writing comes out of my my spirit, out of my folk. Um, I, you know, and I can do a little something, you know, on yes. the computer, but it's not my passion. My passion is is here out. But as I, you know, I, I can I know like one book leads me to another book to another book, and a, a lot of guys are, we've had this whole conversation, and I dropped in the chat, you know, our conversation about uh, Tupac, which was episode twenty seven. Yes. Uh, Wow. You know, his birthday is on the 19th. That was episode 62. We did a whole conversation about him. Sure so you know, we are now building a library of, of classes that y'all can go down your rabbit holes and narrative and, and we don't have to repeat them. But, you know, there's always an entry point. And for we this conversation we had when I learned that it was comic books that were your entry point to mm -hmm. reading. Most men don't read novels like uh, Toni Morrison or Tony Cave and Bombard. So I'm like, who introduced you to oh, I see. I a see. book and then I'm in and then have the audacity to say, if you had two Tonys and you only had to pick one, that would be the one you'd pick. I was yeah. like, okay, I got to get salt eaters because I'm. I'm a Toni Morrison stand to the end. Oh, I, I, I definitely stand Miss Morrison. I don't want her coming to get me in the after ancestral realm. I got a chance to spend a little time with Toni Morrison. I ain't trying to <laughs> no. But if I had to pick, but you did you did you start it or did you? I started and and you know I'm 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 not me. I'm like in the chapter two. I got like three books this morning. It was like Viola Davis. Um, let me after watching that video, I had to come back to Blood in My Eye because uh, I feel like we need to um. Mm. Yeah. I was like, "Ooh, what's the solution here? Okay, blood in my eye. Let's go, let's go." And then I had to go to Thich Nhat Hanh to to calm me down. Yes, you know, yes. Like the words, you know, <laughs> you have to find your rhythm in the morning. So you know, um, so but but salt eaters right there, you know, and I'll pick it up. Like I, I'm reading about four or five books at a time, so I'm like, you know, no question. How, how am I feeling? But I just I'm always curious about you know because you you know, you have such a mind and and I you know you're we're all different. We're all different. You know, the thing I love about, uh, and this is unfair to Ms. Morrison, I'm going to say that in front, this metaphor is unfair, but I'm going to use it because I think it gets us closer to what, you know, where I'm at with it anyway. Um, I'm trying to remember actually who, who wrote this, but they, they heard somebody asking about the difference between, uh, they asked a the child the difference between Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. As we say, we're coming up on Malcolm's birth anniversary, the 19th of May. Now, we know because in a governance conversation, it's a very different conversation. And this child said, well, Martin Luther King is for everybody. Malcolm X is for us. Now, that's unfair to Martin Luther King because we just finished. Where do we go from here? We clear Martin was for us, too. But in terms of who people know, 
and how they write, I don't think there is enough of a distinction between Toni Morrison and, and Tony K. Bambara. However, there are some people in here right now who may be hearing for the first time the name Tony K. Bambara. She was absolutely for us. And it comes through in every line. Not that it doesn't in Ms. Morrison's. Not at all, like August Wilson, who I, you know, I love August Wilson. At the same time, when I go to August Wilson play or read an August Wilson play or essay or interview, I'm reminded of Douglas Turner Ward and Alice Childress. I'm reminded of Philip Hayes Dean, Sam Art Williams. I'm reminded of all those black playwrights by Mary Baraka. I'm reminded of all those black playwrights who were from beginning to end for us, like August Wilson, who don't have a name on Broadway in the social structure, who aren't elevated. So this is this is the American. You know what? Y'all don't get no say in who we pick, except you do. Why? Because these are the ones who make it into the curriculum. So why you got to go to a specific place and encounter a specific person or two, like I did when I was an undergraduate at Tennessee State University, John Elliott and McDonald Williams and Jamie Williams and all. Of, you know, I had black teachers at a black college who knew a lot of these people who came along with them, who made sure Lawrence James, W. Dury Cox, H. Devereaux Brady in the drama department. We did the black plays. We did Wine in the Wilderness uh, um, um, Alice Childress. We did ceremonies in Dark Old Men. I played the leading ceremonies in Dark Old Men. Uh, Lonnie Elder III. We, every year we went to the National Association for Dramatic and Speech Arts, which is the HBCU Theater Conference. Now fast forward to today, 2022, with slave play. And I just read about a new one. In fact, let me just pause here and evoke this because I laughed out loud. I'm sure the people thought I was crazy as I was sitting in the... Uh, the coffee place reading this is this no that's the washington post magazine i'm not gonna be able to find a new york times magazine from last week i had it in my bag hold on give me another 30 seconds there it is very good uh this is the new york times magazine um uh nyla Orr just wrote a piece let me go to page 38 and i'm gonna read you the first line of it this is about a new play that's debuting and it says uh Michael R. Jackson's thriller. With his bravura metamusical A Strange Loop, the playwright is showing Broadway something it has never seen before. And then I can't show y'all what I actually wrote. <laughs> I just, uh, well, I'll read it to you with a little edit. Are you effing kidding? This is the kind of minstrel... Anyway, my point is this. Every time I see something like this, I don't care whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. What I'm saying is you don't get to pick social structure even if you got a black writer writing about a black playwright on Broadway. See, I came out of drama. And I'm saying that this is, and of course, reading the article is, is very well written. It's, it's very layered. It's very important to, you know, document. And, you know, I imagine I might enjoy it. But I read Slave Play. I can't bring myself to see it yet. But I read the play. And I'm thinking to myself, let me go now and go reread Ceremonies and Dark Old Men to cleanse my palate. And so you don't ever have to do that with Tony K. Bambara. In fact, place, again, place being the through line. And let's just review for a second, uh, for a moment. And those of you who are not in Nubia, for those of you who are not in Nubia, 
the beginning of the year we're having conversations because office hours is kind of space where we kind of have conversations a lot of people come in people from all over the world 13 1400 people or more every monday night even more and more are coming and so you know we were talking and that led to the conversation we had a conversation one night that led us to you know let's read carter woodson we have it already in narrative it's posted there so we went through carter g woodson the miseducation of the negro a lot of people were rereading but a lot of people were reading for the first time and this isn't the Carter G. Woodson we get, boom, February, boom, gone. No, let's take our time. And we connected it to all the things going on in the 1920s and 30s, to Woodson's life from his birth in 1875 to his transition in 1950. And then we took it back to the souls of black folk. Again, a name we know, W.B. Du Bois, a text we've heard of or read, the souls of black folk. But let's take our time. And that took us back to enslavement, took us into the South, took us into Reconstruction. Du Bois bringing us forward in terms of this question of who are we to each other? And that who we are to each other then said, well, let's fast forward now to the 60s because Martin Luther King birthday. They call the date of assassination is coming up. Let's anchor ourselves in this conversation and see what Dr. King is saying. Of course, not I have a dream, not any of that stuff. No, let's talk about him even after he made transitions because the book comes out immediately after he is assassinated in April 1968. Where do we go from here? Chaos of community. And I mean, this book really just opened us up in terms of this institutional critique that still should be a foundation for how we interact with this social structure we find ourselves in, not just in the United States, but as King says in the last chapter of that book, in the world house. How do we deal with this? Because we understand that anywhere we are on the globe, we are connected. We are a chain. We are part of the same stuff. And anything that happens anywhere affects everybody everywhere. So we did that. And then as we began to wind toward the end of that, the conversation begins to emerge. Who are we to each other when we think about the relationship of African people in the world to each other? Hmm. What's the bridge we can use to get that? And it emerged Again, Sister Chris and the crew at um, Sankofa, who I took that question to and sat and listened to them talk, debating it. Bing! Barracoon. Let's let somebody who was taken from the continent of Africa, talking to a daughter of Africa who is an extension of African culture, who spent her life listening to Africana, have a conversation and brought that to us. Let's say, and that led us where we are now place how are we making place as we near the second anniversary of the death of george floyd we are now the second anniversary of that liminal space between the death of ahmed aubrey the murder of uh brianna taylor shout out to young dan cameron punk running for governor of kentucky mitch mcconnell's play thing mm. young danny boy oh danny boy oh danny boy yeah the pipes are calling? No, the Klan is calling. Answer the call, Danny boy. You did a good job defending the killers of Breonna Taylor, and now you think you're going to be rewarded with the governorship of Kentucky. Maybe some of them people who ain't got no health care will vote for you. But anyway, the point is, we are in the space between Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor's murders. And here we are now on the second anniversary of the month of the killing of George Floyd. Just three names among so many other names, so many other names. But that name Floyd and the way he was butchered by the brother of the white boy who came across the street with the gun to defend his young apprentice who came across the street with the whip. They're all part of Patter Rollers International, whether it be the Israeli branch killing journalists whether it be the Georgia branch stopping black women on the damn road side of the road so you can go through their drawers and unlock and un unwrap their presence, claiming you're looking for weed with a dog and then a Negro who's in the same 
uh, white facing minstrel pose as young Dan Cameron in Kentucky. I'm talking about that sheriff in Georgia who defended them white boys and three white boys has stopped the Delaware State uh, lacrosse team and went through all their clothes claiming they looking for weed. But see, y'all picked the right one because Tony Allen is friends with Joe Biden and they already then asked the Department of Justice to start to, to file an investigation. And no, we not looking for vindication from the social structure but we are saying is you gonna get your hands off of our children but at any rate as we think about then this next phase and place making and how we're trying to survive in a hostile world that led us to in the space we're creating now not only who we are to each other but how do we make place so that we can survive, not only survive this hostile environment, but thrive in the places we make in this hostile environment. And so Tony Cade, we're not going to do a deep dive right now. I imagine that we're gonna to have to going forward. But we're gonna do a bit of a pivot because we're only going to spend one week on two short pieces. And the two pieces, we picked a short story and an essay. The short story, from Deep Sightings and Rescue Missions, posted in narrative now, folk can go and, you know, get this, and we'll talk about it on Monday night. It's called The War of the Wall. The War of the Wall. The War of the Wall. Ask yourself, let's ask, we all ask ourselves, where are the places we feel safe? Mm. And why do we feel safe in them? People say, y'all always talking about Africa. Why, you know, you ain't no African. And so, you know, one day I was sitting there thinking about it and I wrote a little poem. I said, you know, those who uh, those who say we romanticize our Africa's should fall in love with something other than their former masters for a change. And so, um, you know, we romanticize our Africa's. Why y'all watching Bridgerton? You love your master, but you were taught to love your master. And before people say, oh, that's creative, it ain't creative at all. That's the same minstrelsy we see everywhere. In other words, you love your master. Why don't you set one arrow, at least by all the Davis and them say, let's do this warrior queen. Let's do the, you know, okay. All right, that's better. Let's move in that direction. Now, the war of the wall is about place. Let me read the first couple of sentences. It's Tony K. Me and Lou had no time for courtesies. We were late to school. So just flat out told the painter lady to quit messing with the wall. It was our wall, and she wasn't even from the neighborhood. Stirring in the bucket, she mumbled something about she had permission to paint on it from the owner of the barbershop. Well, that had nothing to do with it as far as we were concerned. It was our wall. We'd been pitching pennies against the barbershop wall since we were very little kids. We played handball and pop fly against that wall since so-called integration. And the crazies, when the crazies crossed town, shut the park down and poured cement in the swimming pool so we couldn't use it. I'd sprained my neck boosting Cousin Lou up on that wall so he could chisel Jimmy Lyon's name on it when we found out he wasn't ever coming home from Vietnam to teach us how to fish. If you lean close, Lou said to the painter lady, you'll get a whiff of bubble gum and kids sweat and that'll fix you. <laughs> this wall belongs to us kids near Talbro Street, end quote. Lou was standing hip shot next to her, beat up old piece of car with old town out of town plates jabbing the air as he spoke and sounding very convincing but she paid us no mind at all 
She snapped the brim of her straw hat down and hauled her bucket up the ladder. Quote, if anybody has a right to do anything to this wall, end quote, Lou shouted up to her, it's Ms. Morris. That's just the beginning. What does it mean when that's your place? <laughs> what does that mean? Miss Cassandra told us Monday night, I'll take a bus to Kasula over to West Africa with your sister. Even some items. It had to be a family decision. We'll make the decision together because family is placed. But his body, he wanted to go where his mother and father are. Nobody know what that is. She, without doing a dissertation on it, she gave us what the ancient Egyptians would call a sebait, a teaching. Place. Place. Where is your place? See, that extension of Africana courses through the blood of Cassandra Lewis Wallace. Through all those Africans, those children of the children of the children of the children of every African who was kidnapped, of African Peter or Gumpa, of Abile or uh, Kasula's wife, of all their children. You know, even with the contradictions that Kasula's children and she talked about that on uh, uh, on Monday night, how they were treated by the African people who had been born here and raised here, who looked at them and said, you kind of, that's that tension that got us into, Kas got us into Kasula at the beginning. Anyway, you ain't no African, you ain't no ready. All right, here we go. Here we go with this mess. So place is complicated. And Tony Cade is going to help us understand in a very short story, because one of the reasons I picked these two is because they're short. You can do them quick, but that's the other thing. The economy of language in Tony K. Bombard. Tony Morrison can write some of the most, in fact, the most beautiful phrases and sentences. And Tony K. too, in terms of cadence, the cadence, you know, in terms of my mind, mm. Tony Morrison is probably appeals more to my mind. In terms of the way she her felicity with language, she can extend. It's almost like listening to Charlie Parker, in a sense, because Parker could take a phrase and just extend it over so many bars. It's like, man, Tony K. It's a little bit more like, like Monk, or some, you know, in other words, or even Coltrane. There's a there's a there's a beat there that can hit you. Tony, Tony Morrison does the same thing, but it's Tony Cade's cadence pitch is a little, it's a, it's a little bit cleaner in terms of short. Boom, 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 boom. And, and that's not to say one is better than the other. I would say probably in terms of here, Tony K hits here for me. But the Egyptians would say Eve means heart and mind. They don't make a distinction. Again, I'm thinking with the wrong mind. That's a social structure education. You got to come to the government. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, you know, there's no Martin or Malcolm. There's That's no right. Rambara or Morrison. There's all yeah. of it. And we need all of it because even how we digest and, and process is going to be different. But we got to bring those differences to fill out the whole picture. It's it's not either or. We need it's and fan. all it's the fan. way. It's both and. It's both and. So I, I, I'll wind up with this. The second pivot two pieces is her language and the writer. This is an essay. So let's do a piece of fiction, a piece of nonfiction. And this, I thought, pick this one with you in mind, Prof. Mm. Because she's a writer and she's writing about writing. So I know Monday night, you know, she says, I want to talk about language 
transform and changing the world. First, mm. that's it. I want to talk about language, form, and changing the world. The question that faces billions of people at this moment, one decade shy of the 21st century, is can the planet be rescued from the psychopaths? Question mark. There it is. When did she, write, when, when did she do that? When did she write that? This is 1990. Can the planet be rescued from the psychopaths? She said the persistent concern of engaged artists, of cultural workers in this country and certainly within my community is what role can, should, or must the film practitioner, for example, play in producing a desirable vision of the future? And the challenge that the culture worker faces, myself, for example, as a writer and as a media activist, this is again, I had you in mind, is that the tools of my trade are colonized. Yes. The creative imagination has been colonized. The global screen has been colonized. And the audience, readers and viewers, is in bondage to an industry. It has the money, the will, the muscle, and the propaganda machine oiled up to keep us all locked up in a delusional system as to even what America is. We are taught to believe, for example, that there is an American literature, that there's an American culture, there's an American reality, there's an American cinema. Tony Moore, uh, Tony, Tony K. Bambara writes, there is no American literature. There are American literatures. There are those who have their roots in the most ancient civilizations, African, Asian, Mexican. And there are those that have the most ancient roots in this place, that mouth to ear tradition. Come on, Mama Cassandra Lewis Wallace on Monday night, mouth to ear tradition of the indigenous peoples that were here thousands and thousands of years before it was called America, thousands of years before it was even called Turtle Island. And there is too the literature of the European settlement regime that calls itself American literature. There is no American cinema. There are American cinemas. There's the conventional cinema that makes that masks its ideological imperatives as entertainment and normalizes its hegemony with the term convention. That is to say, the cinematic practices of editing and particular uses of narrative structure. She goes on. See what sent that little white boy across the street with that whip? Was television and movies. Was music and what he learned in school, not just at his house, because it all forms together to send this message. That little girl belongs to you. You can do whatever the hell you want to with her. And if you think for one split second that it doesn't make a difference how black women, black men come through these devices into the minds of young people and old people alike, you done lost your damn mind. You know why it's so easy for people to say, I'll tell you whether you can or cannot terminate a pregnancy. You know, the biggest industry while people was locked down was the biggest industry before they were locked down. And the one you ain't got to go to normal with because it was all along pornography, pornographia, the literal writing of harlots, a European word coming out of the French, meaning what? Women are not human. In fact, neither are men of African descent and ain't no black person human. So you see, we would do it. In fact, think about it again. We talked about Marvin Gaye and that was in one of the things we talked a long time about what's going on, right? Marvin Gaye writing. Uh, what's happening, brother? Because his brother had just come back from Vietnam. Tony Cater, we're going to read about this wall, right? And when we see what's going on, 
That's the brother from the Four Tops who was out there at Berkeley staying because they were on tour. He looked out and seen the police beating white boys. He said, shit, if he'll beat these, if they'll beat these hippies, what will they do to us? What's going on? So what Tony Cade is saying is that this whole social structure and its movement and memory, its culture and meaning making, its ways of knowing, its use of science and technology all converge to exclude us from the definition of human. And so the role of the writer is to break out of that. Now, you say, well, we can't do everything in Nubia. We can't do everything in narrative. We can't do it. But hey, 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 hey. Two years ago, when everybody was trapped, guess what some people started doing? Listening to music, reading novels, and writing poetry. Then it's like the gravitational pull. Okay, we're going back. Okay, I got. I ain't got time for that. Oh, you got time for what you make choices. Don't let that escape velocity dissipate and pull you back into that, which is where I'll end with this. After we finish, just next week, we're going to evoke Tony K talking about place. And then we're going to go, and I, th I thought about this, um, had a small conversation with, a, with Baba Jeremiah Wright, who was with us in Nubia. He's there Monday night, probably here today. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's been here. Yeah, he's in here. So Bob was like, you know, what you think about Sylvia Ann Juice's book, Freedom's Exiles on Maroonage? I said, yeah, Bob, that's a good book. Made me go pull it off the shelf because he's thinking Maroonage. Of course, because the man is in Maroon. <laughs> he had a whole Maroon space. You know what I'm saying? Trinity is a Maroon space. Barack Obama, you know, and I'm going to say less about a social structure facing cat. But at any rate, it's a Maroon space. And because it's a maroon space, you got to punish maroons. It's just like the white boy came across the street with the hip, with the whip to get the, the black girl. America, white America came across the street to try to come for Jeremiah Wright. But see, unlike the mother who had to stand in the way to make sure the white boy didn't get in there. And then here come the daddy with the gun. Jeremiah Wright was like, y'all want to come in? Whosoever will. <laughs> so guess what? All you can do with crazy maroons like that is pretend like they did with the Blue Hills of Jamaica, like pretend like they did the Africans in the Great Dismal Swamp. All you can do with a maroon like that is pretend they don't exist. See, you got to understand, when we were in lockdown, all the numbers and views and all that is up. We had lockdown, return to normal. The people who weren't ridden anyway or the people who now get pulled in the thing, they're going to move. But guess what's still there? The maroon space. And the maroon space must be ignored. And if you just want to, in fact, it's so funny. Uh, yesterday's, uh, yesterday? Was it yesterday? It was in all the papers yesterday. The uh, They got a picture. I love, I love how Europe goes. Europe will, um, I said Europe, how oftentimes Western science is. Here we go. Western science, if they can't see it, it's all theory, right? So this was the front page yesterday's Times. So first visual journey to the center of our galaxy, right? It says astronomers announced on Thursday that they had pierced the veil of darkness and dust at the center of our Milky Way galaxy to capture the first picture of, quote, the gentle giant dwelling there, a trap door. I'm sorry, a supermassive black hole, a trap door in space time through which the equivalent of four million suns have been dispatched to eternity. Leaving, leaving behind only their gravity and violently bent space-time. Beautiful prose, although I don't know what the hell that means. Dispatched to eternity. So what's at the center of the black hole at the center of the so-called Milky Way? Black. 
fear of a black universe. This is Stefan Alexander's book. We're going to get into that when we get to the book after we do Blake, which is where I'm going to end for ourselves. My point is this, the gravitational pull, we are right now in dark matter. 95% of the universe, Alexander, who is a physicist, brother, physicist, says, you know, is dark matter. I was talking with that, talking about that with uh, Dr. Amin earlier this week, Sunyana Amin, because, you know, she into that science. Now, see, 95% of the world, of the universe, black, dark matter. That means we in dark matter right now. Dark matter. Anyway, his last poet say, black is the color of the midnight sky. Black is so beautiful that it'll make you cry. My point, though, is that gravity pulls us in. We achieved escape velocity, which means the capacity to perceive ourselves without the gravitational pull of this thing that has its pull on us. We now, having achieved escape velocity, have nurtured a maroon space. So after next week, we will then go to, uh, for two weeks, just for two weeks, what? We're going to go backward, then we're going all the way forward. Backward, we're going one more time, at least at this moment, with Martin Delaney, with Blake. Because we say, well, you know, what did maroonage look like during enslavement? Well, let's go to somebody who the social structure would say, this is the first black person to become an army, a uh, commissioned army major in the United States Army, fought in the Civil War. No, that's the social structure. And it's true. But in the governance structure, who is Martin Robeson Delaney to us? We're going to end Martin Robeson Delaney. We're going to do him on, so next week's the 16th. We'll do Tony Cade. The following week, the 23rd, Monday night, Thursday, uh, Monday night, the 23rd, and then Monday night, the 30th, which is Memorial Day. We will do that black veteran, Martin Robeson Delaney. And then beginning June the 6th, we will go to the Afro future. Not this book. Professor Hunter, would you like to uh, help us know where we're going? on yes. this to give people a little time to get and after they, they can get a taste of it because Laurie Daniel Favors uh and Tanana Rivdu and I had a conversation about this woman um who is the mother of Afrofuturism whatever that is but you know a prophet uh somebody who uh was widely uh to me ignored which she must have been a maroon and we're talking about no the great way. Octavia Butler um and I think we're in that time where she predicted we would be Yes, Octavia Butler. There she goes. And Uraeus has immortalized her. Um, the creation of what we're going to drop in June, right around Juneteenth, with her image. It, it, it. You talk about drawing people in. You talk about that. That some something hitting your heart. Yeah, yeah. No way. You, you gonna say you, you ain't. Yeah. I'm gonna say no, but, but 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 give us our marching orders though, on because of her rule of so much and you, you got me going around here in fact y'all know if in case you didn't there are two excellent recent kind of biographical books on her more written for a young people audience but uh this is Linnell George's book handful of earth a handful of sky the world of Octavia E Butler and here this one is interesting EB Zaboy did a book called Star Child a biographical constellation of Octavia Estelle wow. Butler it's beautiful so these two wow. are kind of like backgrounds but you 
EB's all bad. Shut your mouth. No question. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So I'm just, you know, letting y'all know. Go to y'all black bookstores now. Now, but but come on back, Proc, because we done. But the book, we still haven't named the book. I guess it will be books because I've been told by you and everybody else, you can't read one without the other. So what Power, are we reading, Proc? Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents, Parable of the Sowers is, is known as Earth Seed. Um, it's it's a novel, I think. <laughs> I think it is. I think she saw something. I think she went to a mountaintop and Come saw things, and then put in work. But you know, for for us, we're in a hostile environment. You know, and I'm not gonna you know dwell on that because we found solace and maroonage within this this space. No but the some of the things that she predicted would happen have happened. It, they are happening. Many of us need to navigate them, and I want to through the beauty of those words. Um, for us to imagine a world we want to live in, but also be very aware of the world that we're in, no and um, you know, so that we're not blindsided. So, mm -hmm. so all preparation. I'm loving. I'm looking in the chat in Nubia. Everybody is fired up now. People getting fired up on Octavia Butler. That was now. Hey, y'all know that's Professor Hunter, right? Okay. She get in tune with this because <laughs> I didn't need no convincing. I'm just like, okay, well, let me. Uh, and then I realized the more I'm listening, I'm listening. Yeah. Perfect. Everything is in divine order. Everything is in divine order. I mean, the question of blackness is being our search for meaning. We're looking for meaning. I mean, we require it. Do we already have it? Octavia Butler going to turn us inside out. <laughs> in religion, I mean, like, yeah, all, all of the themes will be uh, hit and some feelings might get hurt, but we we're here for that. Let's let's the black out. woman is God. I'm loving it. Hey, hey, y'all. So look, if you're not in here with us, we can rate. We're gonna do a little taste of Tony K. We might have to come back, Tony K. But these sisters got us in rhythm now. Thanks, Zora, for getting us opening the door for us. And thank you so much, Mama Cassandra. Yes. For, 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 for representing all those Africans that were on that ship, the Katilda. And Sister Maisha, uh, Brother Chief, thank you all for too as well. Mama Cassandra just she gave us that old school teaching <laughs> Monday night. I love us. I love this space. I love you. Um, every day I pray, I pray for you. Um, Same here. But I, you know, I pray for everybody, but you in particular, mm. you are a special, special. Mm. I thank you. For oh, no, I thank you. Oh, shout out our brother, the builder. Oh, oh, Archie Alexander. I just, you know, I feel like we need to do a whole thing on him because I just, today was his birthday. Um, but then I was like, he donated a uh, hundred thousand dollars to Howard and, and a bunch of other schools. Um, first African-American uh, to graduate with an engineering degree from University of Iowa. Uh, he was also a governor to the U.S. Virgin Islands. That was very controversial back then. First black. How's the first black person, the, the ambassador to a black? Anyway, um, uh, just <laughs> an incredible, incredible architect. And, um, you know, he was, of course, challenged to not be an architect because where can you work as a black man in this country? He was told. Uh, but he figured it out. Well, uh, I mean, you know, at that time, it's interesting. We'll talk about this. We, we we definitely do it. You should know because Howard was very important. Of course, uh, what's the brother out of Baltimore? He went to Cornell. He designed most of the stuff that it's at Classic Howard, the Founders Library. It'll come to me anyway. But Tuskegee. No, no, come on back. I'm done. Tuskegee. Tuskegee yeah. was the place. Booker Washington, whatever his contradictions were or weren't. When you go to the campus of Tuskegee University, Black architects. 
design so much Tuskegee. So there's a Tuskegee link with Brother Alexander as well. That's right. Tuskegee University of Iowa and Howard, they got they all got funds for engineering scholarships. But he also was a world-class football player. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame, the AAA College Football Hall of Fame, three seasons at the University of Iowa. Because, you know, Black people like Paul Robeson, like others, you just can't be brilliant. Uh, you also have to be a gladiator and entertain these people. But anyway, I, I and, and did it, but did all the other stuff too. Albert Cassell, Albert Cassell, C A S S E L L. Albert Cassell was the designer. In fact, found his library at Howard. And yeah, yeah, you students don't get mad. Well, get mad, please get mad and do something about it. All these graduation pictures that students take in front of libraries they never read a book out of crack me up. The parents read now. Read, but anyway, Cassell he designed the library at Howard, the Founders Library. He said, "Let me do something a little different. I'm gonna look at Independence Hall in Philly. Hmm. Then I'm gonna then I'm gonna build one at Howard, except I'm gonna trick it out differently. So when you look at the old Philadelphia Pennsylvania State House, Pennsylvania State House, which is now called Independence Hall, where they Constitution Decoration, you see Howard's library. It is a riff on that. He took that and tricked it out." inside and out. Cassell picked every stick of furniture in the library, the stone that went in the floors and the walls. He picked everything, the railings. He designed the inner system and inside the Founders Library, it is designed like the New York Public Library. At the time, you go on the second floor, ask for a book, there's a series of dumb waiter and conveyor belts in the walls where they go find the book in the clothes stack, put it in there, it comes down to the thing, it comes out to you. These are the black architects. <laughs> I mean, and now we're talking about, hey, drop new album, got a few rhymes. I love you. I love you too. Love you, Nubians. We'll see you in Maroon's Medicine Chest tomorrow, Monday night, office hours, and Meta Nature on Tuesday. We may do something special on Wednesday. I'll let you know around money with a money. Oh, oh, oh my God. Thank you. Maroon's Medicine Chest tomorrow? Yes. Make her talk about this, will you? And happy belated birthday again. I went over to I went over to I went over to Calabash and we had just developed this. What is that? Oh, hold on. I'm T.E. Butler. Butler. No, but watch this. No, no, no. Make her do it tomorrow. Make her do it tomorrow. When you hold get on. the T. Hold on. You know we haven't talked because I wish her happy birthday. I was like, let me just fall back, leave her alone. Yeah. She, she was working this. on this. And look, she didn't even know, Pra. She didn't no. know who was reading Octavia Butler. So I said, son, what you think yeah. about Octavia? We're going to do Octavia Butler. She said, oh, my God. I love her. And then she, and then she went out and went in the store and came out with this. But watch this though. Watch this. I'm gonna say less. If you're not in Nubia, you're gonna miss this. When you put this in the T-ball and put it in, ask her what you have to add to it to make it do something that's connected to Octavia Butler. That's the tease. Now you mean the ancestors not in? She didn't know, prof. Except she did know. You did that. Thank you. We're gonna have. I'm a vessel. I, this is what obedience looks like, y'all. No question. In my whole life being disobedient, last seven years, I'm like, I'm just going to, whatever you say, God, I ain't even going to question it. I love it. What it looks like. Um, Man, everything lines up. I love you. You got to go. Nubian, yeah, right. Nubian streets. We'll see everyone tomorrow. All right.